stuff all squared away here. Hey, inside your program, you'll find a, a, another little insert. I want to encourage you guys to fill it out as we go through. It has the scripture passages on there and to fill in the blanks. And we'll work our way through today's, uh, today's lesson. <clears throat> we are uh, finishing up this series. We had a little three-week series. And next week, we'll start a new series, uh, 30-Day Church Challenge. We'll talk more about that as the service goes on, as the time goes on. But I um, want to uh, just kind of recap a little bit from where we've been the last couple weeks. Uh, how many of you set goals? Any goal setters this year? Yeah? A few of you, all right. So, so we know that um, a small percentage of Americans set goals, about 40%, only about 8% of those actually succeed in their goal setting. And so just I'll take a guess at in the dark here, if uh, some of you set goals, here, here's the way that the flow chart collapses. Uh, in week number one, 25% of, of the people who set goals are already failing. It's pretty bad, right? I mean, one week can, come on, you could do better than that, right? And uh, in week number two, uh, there's about 30, 29% uh, are failing uh, after one month. You have about 26% or, or 29, 39% failing. And then after six months, only 46% of those goal setters are actually succeeding in their goals. All right? So we've been talking about goal setting and doing it from a godly way. There's a, there's a great uh, chapter in the Bible that gives us really kind of a flow chart uh, right through the scriptures on setting goals. It is a chapter that has the word success mentioned five times, and that is the most in all of the Bible. If you were to take all of the uh, chapters in the Bible and look for the word success, uh, Genesis 24 has it mentioned five times, and it's a a pretty powerful passage of Scripture to read through. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to recap a minute, and then we're going to jump into it, all right? So you ready? I, I, I know, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's been like a whole week since you've been here, and you already forgot the ground rules, right? So remember, the congregation has to talk back, but not too much, but just a little bit so Pastor Dan knows that you guys are alert and alive, right? All right, okay. So here's what I want you to do. On the side and somewhere in the margins, I want you to write this down. This is kind of a cool thing. Um, we'll talk a little bit about this next week. There's something that's called a type. Uh, in the scriptures, it's when you have, have an Old Testament uh, characters, and I don't mean characters in the sense that they were fictional, but Old Testament people, and it is a type of something that's revealed in the New Testament. And this will be kind of a weird week, because I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about it this week and then next week. So I think it's the first time I've ever done, done, uh, done the types twice. So right on the side, in your margins, write this. Write, Abraham equals the Father, God the Father. Isaac equals Christ the Son. Eliezer equals the Holy Spirit. And the bride equals the church. Now we wonder why it's mentioned and why it's a great chapter to set goals. We're going to see. God the, Abraham's God the Father. Isaac is Christ the Son, Eliezer is the Holy Spirit, and the bride, Rebecca, is the church, the body of Christ. 
All right, you ready? Here we go. So the top of your outline, real quick, here's, here's what success. Success is not necessarily being famous, wealth, uh, wealthy, or healthy, <clears throat> but it is a growing realization of God's goals for your life. So when we use the idea of success, setting goals in 2016, success doesn't necessarily mean money. That may be part of the picture, uh, but it's actually more about getting into and understanding God's vision or God's goals for your life as a Christ follower, all right? And so we talked about that last week. Let's recap this week, and then we're going to jump into number six. So last week, we went through five of the ten steps of setting godly goals in your life. And number one, and we're just going to go through. These aren't fill in the blanks. They should already be there. Number one is to determine your position, right? Not living in, uh, in denial, but living in reality. Where are you now? When it comes to financial goals, when it comes to marital goals, when it comes to spiritual goals, where are you now? And so you ask the question, where am I now? And you ask the question, what would I like to change? Number two is you define your purpose and you bring clarity to your goals. Not vague, not like I want to be a good parent in 2016. What does that mean? Right? I want to save money in 2016. How much? Right? It's vague. When it's vague, you're not going to be, there, there's no kind of uh, feet to it. There's no encouragement to it. There's no motivation to it. And so we want to have clear goals. And you can write on the little side there, this is where fear kicks in. If you remember from last week, if you were not here, you can grab a CD. You can always listen online. Uh, this is where the servant, Eliezer, said, well, what if I go there and she doesn't come back? Right? And so we'll talk about that in a second. Number three is to discover a promise in Scripture, or principle in Scripture, or a model in Scripture. Now, if you have a goal this year of, say, you're going to lose 25 pounds, there's no verse that says, thou shalt lose 25 pounds. Okay? But there are verses that talk about your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's passages where it talks about gluttony. There's, talk, there's passages about making sure that you, you eat right and those kinds of things. So you can find models or principles in scripture that you want to hold on to. And so you ask, uh, what promise can I claim? What, what passage of scripture can I hold on to? Number four is to describe the prophet, and that is the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? All right? And so you got to figure out what the why is. And as I said last week, when you figure out the why, God will reveal to you the how. But if you do not figure out the why, God will not reveal to you the how. Okay? Why am I doing it? Why do I want my marriage to improve? Okay? So then you describe, you come to clarity as far as what, uh, what exactly that is. And so you're a few questions to ask. What is the reward? Why do I want it? How will I feel when I finish? Okay? Number, uh, number five is desire in prayer. We looked in, in Mark chapter 11, we looked at that word is to, where it says to ask, is to desire, it's a God-given thing that God has placed in your life. And Genesis uh, 24 and verse 11 talks about how he, Eliezer, prayed for God's success that he would find a wife uh, for, for Isaac. And so in that, we want to ask as we pray, are we praying for our goals that God has placed? And again, if you weren't here last week, you can grab a, a, a CD or you can listen online. All right, so let's get a little background and we're going to jump into today. So God makes a promise to Abraham. 
Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation. Abraham at this time in Genesis 24 is about 140 years old. So if you're over 140, this message doesn't pertain to you. If you're under 140, it's for you, all right? So we know from history that he has about 35 years left of his life. Now, he didn't know that, but as we sit here today, we recognize that he lived about another 35 years. So God says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation. You're 140 years old. He's feeling a little bit desperate, a little bit concerned. His son Isaac isn't married, right? So that's a problem. And so he sets out and he gives his servant, he gives him a task, and that is to go to his land where Abraham was from to find a wife that has the same line or the same family background, the same religion, the same faith, and bring her back to my son Isaac so that he can get married, so he can have a kid, so God's promise of being a great nation, a father of a great nation, will be fulfilled, right? And so, and so he's going to send them out, and he's going to try to figure out how to get this lady who he doesn't know to come back to meet a man who she doesn't know to marry, right? So it's a little bit of a difficult task, all right? So in last week I said the first five steps of setting goals you do not try to solve the problems, okay? You just simply spend time with God and ask God, God, what are the goals that you desire for me to have? Too often what happens is as soon as we set our ideas on our goals, instantly the problems come up, the barriers come up, the roadblocks come up, and we end it at that point, all right? We do not solve problems in the first five steps. We are simply figuring out what are the goals that God has for me in my life. Are you following so far? All right. Number six is where we begin to problem solve. All right. And so here's number six, that you diagnose the problem or in some cases problems. Right. So fill that in real quick and then look up here. Here is the problem that Eliezer has. He is going to go to probably a land that he's never been to, to find a woman that he doesn't know, to ask her parents, who he's never met, for permission for her to leave her homeland, to travel to a land she's never been to, to meet a guy that she's never laid eyes on, and marry him. That is a big problem. Would you agree with that? That is a tough sale to do. That is, you know, maybe like mission almost impossible, right? To go and to do that, right? And, and so he's going to go and he's going to begin to address his problems that he has in his life. He's going to find the girl. He's going to ask the parents. He's going to convince her. And he's going to travel back and he's going to present, present her to Isaac to be to be married, all right? So we want to ask, and we're going to just skip those passages because I come back to some of those later. So we're going to ask the question when it comes to problems is you're going to ask, what are the barriers? What are the barriers that you are experiencing? Remember, that is in step six, not one through five. That is in step six. And so you're going to ask, when it comes to your God-given goals that God has burdened your heart with, and trust me, they will be there, all right? 
What are the barriers that is preventing you from fulfilling or succeeding in your goals? All right. Now, for some people, it might be finances. Right? Maybe you want to redirect your career. You want to step out of the career that you're in. You want to go into a different type of career. And in order to do that, there's going to be a pay cut. You're going to go from the top to the bottom. And those kinds of things. And so there may be some financial issues that you have to address and you have to work through. Maybe there's some educational issues. You have to go back to school to get the job that you want or the career that you want. Or, uh, you know, so you've got to go back. And for the longer you're out of school, the more you forget. Is that... Anybody know what that's like, right? Sure, yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it. In my case, I never had it, so uh, it's it's easy to lose, right? And and so anyway, there's educational, perhaps educational issues that you got to go back to and, and address. Relational issues, right? Sometimes you may have an idea, a burden in your heart, and you're like, you know, I really think I need to do X, Y, and Z, but your spouse, your kids, your grandparents, your next door neighbor is like, I don't know if that's a good idea. You have some relational issues that you got to work through in order to do that. Now, barriers are not roadblocks necessarily. They are simply barriers. That's all that they are. Many times it's a situation where God wants to slow you down. In every case, it's always an option for you to grow and trust God in a greater way. Always in barriers. Don't ever let barriers discourage you. It's your opportunity to trust God in a greater way. All right? Without the barriers, you just kind of skip, skip through life and you miss it. And so you want to make sure that you experience them. Now, here is the biggest one. You can write this on the side. Emotional barriers are the hardest when it comes to succeeding and to working through. Okay? Now, this is my experience. God can humble me in like a nanosecond. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Has God ever humbled you? Sure, right? But here's the struggle that I have. I have a struggle believing that God can do great things in and through me. Right? It's an emotional issue. And part of it for me, if you don't know, part of it for me is I'm dyslexic. Right? That is an issue that I have struggled with. So imagine, God says, hey Dan, I want you to go into the ministry and you're going to spend your life studying. Oh, great, right? And then, I don't like speaking in front of people. I hate it. If I could do anything else than speak in front of people, I would. Great. Isn't that encouraging, right? So, so far we're 0 for 2 on the things that we like to do, right? And and so it's an emotional thing that I have to work through to believe that God is faithful, that he will take me through with being dyslexic, that he will take me through with the panic attacks I have and speaking in front of people, that he will take me through that. See, that's why I say barriers are always opportunities to grow in trusting God in a greater way, right? And and so don't get discouraged by barriers. They're going to be there because God is more interested in your character than he is actually you succeeding in your goals. Okay? Because he wants to develop you into the image of Christ. And he's going to do that in and through barriers. And so you simply figure out, here's where I'm at. Here's where I believe the Lord wants me to go. In the middle are going to be barriers. And we just simply need to identify those barriers and address them. If you look in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 34, this is a Sermon on the Mount. 
And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Right? So don't get all wound up about, well, what if, and what if, and how are we going to, and what if, and what if. He says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Just cross the bridge that you're crossing today. Just walk over that bridge and realize that God is faithful and he will take you through that bridge that you're crossing. So he says, don't worry about, uh, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't get too far out in front. Right? Just one, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one second at a time, and you're just simply, all you're doing is you're identifying the barriers that's preventing you from, goals, from the goal in which you want to do. Are we following so far? Number seven is the plan. How are you going to overcome those barriers that you have, have identified in your life in order to achieve the goals? What are the difficulties and then how are you going to overcome them in your life? So you diagnose where you're at, where you want to go, the problems, and then you look at the problems, and you don't look at, your, look at the barriers through your eyes, you look at the barriers through the, the faithfulness of God. All right? Because if you look at them through your eyes, you're looking at what you can achieve with your own resources, with your own abilities, with your own smarts. And I hate to tell you this, but that's why most of our goals are never succeeded because we are relying on our own self-will. And your self-will is not very good. Do you agree with that? Sure, right? So, so we will, all we simply want to do now is we want to diagnose the plan in which to overcome. And in this case, Eliezer is a master at it. So let's take a look. Genesis 24, verse 10. Here's what he does. When the servant, uh, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and he left and taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. So let's just step by step. So the first thing he does is he's going to go to a land that he's never been to. He's going to find a woman that he's never met. He's going to convince her family and her to come back and marry a guy that she has no idea who it is. All right. So the first thing he does is he loads up 10 camels. Now, Abraham was incredibly wealthy. And so he loads up 10 camels and he is going to take it, them and he's going to head into the direction in which he is going to go. Now, this is kind of the wow factor, right? So, so he's going to bring a little bit of the loot that, that his master has and he's going to just show her, hey, this is a little taste of what it could be like, right? So he's going to load her up, load up the camels, and he's going to head out. Verse 11. He's going to have the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women uh, go out to water, to draw water, okay? So just kind of stop. So in that culture, ladies, it was your responsibility to get water for the family. And so you would go out to the well, uh, in the evening time when it was cool and you would draw water out of the well with your container for you to bring back to your family for that evening and the next morning and midday, all right? So here's what he says. The, the, the servant's like, if you're gonna find a wife, right, then you probably want to go where the ladies are at, right? I mean, for some of you, that may be like all you need, right? You can't sit on your mama's couch and expect one to knock on the door going, 
hey, I want to get married, right? You got to go where the ladies are. You got to go where the guys are in order for that to happen, right? And so, so anyway, so he's going to go and he's going to take the loot, a little bit of the money, and he's going to take the camels and he's going to head to where the ladies in their culture would go to. So that's the plan so far. Are we following so far? All right. Verse 11. Then he, what did he do? He prayed. All right. So he's going to include God in the mix here and he's going to pray and he's going to say, Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness. Now watch. Kindness to who? Remember, he's not going to get a wife. He's going to get a lady for his servant's son to have a wife. It isn't even for him. And when you set goals, if your goals are simply for you, they will not motivate you for very long. Okay? If your goals are for other things, and especially if they're for eternity, it will motivate you to do stuff. Right? And so he has a goal here to find a wife that's not even for him. And so he's going to pray, and he's going to ask God to show kindness uh, to his master's servant. Verse 13. See, uh, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Now, verse 14 is a test. I wrote that word in there just so you know. You can circle that. Now, here's the test. And here's what he's going to ask God to reveal to him. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that you may uh, that I may have a drink and she will say drink. And I'll water your camels too. We'll get into that, what that means. Let, it, uh, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. Uh, by this, I will know that you have shown kindness toward your master. All right? So, another part of the plan is that he is looking for a lady that has a servant's heart who is generous who isn't selfish. Now, pause. Alright, this is for all of us. Don't we all want to be a person who has a servant's heart, who's generous and who's kind? Right? Remember I've said this before, in, in a lot of marriages, if you're just simply nice, a lot of your marital problems would be solved. Right? But we live in a selfie culture, don't we? Take a picture of me. Take a picture of me. What about me? What about me? What about me? Right? So he's going to find a wife for Isaac, and he wants to know if she has a servant's heart, if she's kind, and if she's generous. Now, we don't get this, right? Because this is like, what do you mean watering a camel? So with the distance in which he would have traveled, he had ten camels. Now, guys in, in uh, commentary writers would say that at that distance, the average camel, when it would stop for watering, would have uh, needed to intake about uh, 15 gallons of water each. Okay? Are we following so far? So we're talking 150 gallons of water. Now, I used to deliver Alhambra water before I was in the ministry. We had five-gallon bottles of water that's not how they rolled. They had clay jars that was probably about maybe a gallon or a gallon and a half. So some people estimate 
that she could have on the short end would have taken her an hour to water the camels. On the long end, about three hours to water the camels. Right? So when he says, Lord, when I ask, she'll say, hey, I get, can I get you a drink? And hey, do you mind if I water your camels too? I mean, he is looking at a lady who has a servant's heart, who's generous and who's kind, who cares about other people. Now you throw into that. In their culture, a strange guy speaking to a woman wouldn't be acceptable. That would not be acceptable. If you, if you were a woman and there was a man that you didn't know, you would not speak to him. Right? And so he kind of ups the ante a little bit and, he, and he's going to break some traditions uh, in the sense. And so you see his plan is ultimately to get her to do that. But when he selects her for, uh, for, uh, for Isaac, he doesn't want to just find a good-looking lady. Right? He wants to find somebody who's beautiful on the inside. Right? In fact, we realize and we know from other verses that she was incredibly beautiful from the outside. But she was just as beautiful from the inside of her. And so he does this in verse 22. Here's a passage for some of you who have kids. This will be a fun passage. You can go home and explain. <clears throat> when the camels had finished drinking, the man took, uh, uh, took out a gold nose ring. Uh-oh, right? <laughs> and by the way, that would weigh about an ounce and a half. He gave it to her as well as two uh, gold bracelets, right? And so here he gives her a nose ring. He gives her a bracelet. In verse 23, then he asks, whose daughter are you? Well, why is that important? Because remember from last week, he had to find a woman from his line of people and his faith. So who her father was was going to reveal whether that that was part of his family or not, right? And so he wants to know, hey, who's who's your dad, right? And please tell me, uh, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And so he wants to go back and he wants to drop the question. So here's the questions that we ask when it comes to the design, right? We figured out what the problems are. Now we design a plan to overcome the obstacles or the roadblocks. How do I intend to get there? Right? How do I intend to get there? And how long will it take? How long will it take? How do I intend to get there? And how long will it take for me to take place? Are we following so far? All right, step number eight is you got to discipline your personality, all right? You got to discipline your personality. You're going to write grow on the side, grow up, get on with it, whatever you want to write on the side. And here is the question in which we're going to ask, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to grow? All leaders are learners. All leaders are readers. Right? Right? We are not students. We are disciples of Christ. Right? Student intakes information. A disciple intakes information and lives it out in their life. And so we have to discipline ourselves. And this is where, again, if there's a few areas that we fall off the wagon, this is one of them. When it comes to problems, we see them and we stop. The second area is disciplining ourselves in order to overcome the obstacles in our life so that we're able to succeed. Here's what ends up happening. If we are not disciplined, we are simply drifters in life. And so, 
Uh, here's what I say to, to guys in the ministry. If you are not disciplined as a leader, your ministry last year is going to look exactly like it is this year. And let me make a prediction. If you don't discipline yourself, next year is going to look exactly like this year and last year and last year. You want to know why? Because you try a little of this, a little of that, a little of this, a little of that, a little of this, and you dabble here, you dabble there, and there's no focus in your life because you are undisciplined in your life. All right? So you following so far? All right. So we have to have discipline in our life. Now let's look through and look at how where Eliezer was disciplined or where he was growing, and this is certainly will help us out. In verse 21, he says, Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord uh, had made his journey successful. All right? And an area of growth that we need is in the area of decisions. Decisions. Folks, far too often... We make decisions on whims. Somebody gets a little thing tickling themselves somewhere and they make a decision. And folks, that is absolutely crazy. Crazy. God is going to give you discernment and He's going to give you clarity. He is a God who speaks to His children. He's a God who directs us in our life. And we need to make sure that we're disciplined in the area of our decisions, and we're not just going to run out on a whim and do something. And let me just kind of say as a side note, folks, too often in family life, marriages are hindered because someone is one of those quick decision makers. They haven't thought through. They haven't connected the dots, dotted the I, crossed the T, and they run out and they make a decision. And then they got to come back and try to figure out how to fix all the things that they just screwed up. All right? So, there is never a reason to make fast decisions in your walk with Christ. He will reveal to you. He is a God who wants to guide you and direct you. We need to make sure that we're disciplined in that. You should never feel pressured to make a, to, to, you know, to make a decision in your life. So, we need to grow in the area of decisions. <clears throat> Verse 33 says, when the food was set before him, right? So we got dinner in front of you. But he said, I will not eat until I have uh, uh, told you what I have to say. All right? And so this is an area of appetite, right? Appetite. And maybe that's a poor word, and I use that because it had food, but you can just write on the side, you, you, you can write on the side, that we have to pause for pleasure. We have to pause for pleasure. In our selfie world that we live in, when do we want pleasure? Now. Right? We don't want to wait. You have young couples who are newly married. They want what their parents have after 40 years of marriage and saving money and buying stuff. Right? And so what do they do? They make quick decisions to buy the biggest castle they can. They get in over their head and they get into financial troubles because they want it now. Right? I may be talking to some of you. Right? And, and so you've got to discipline the idea of instant gratification. Right? God will deliver it to you in His time. Trust Him. Right? Rely on Him. 
If you missed the series on margins last uh, in December, you can grab a CD on the way out. We talk about margins, about finances and stuff. Then verse 49. All right. So we're disciplined on that. 449. Now if you will show me uh, kindness and faithfulness to my master and tell me, and if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. And he was disciplined with his words. Right? You can write tactful on the side. We always say in our house, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Verse 56. But he said to them, do not detain me. So Eliezer says this, do not detain me now, that the Lord has granted me success uh, to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go right to my master. And there we want to have Discipline in the area of time. All right? In time. Any procrastinators in the house? All right? So, so some people are, are wired differently. Um, I'm wired opposite of procrastination. When some thought comes into my mind about doing it, I can't rest until it's finished. Right? Now, that's a different problem. It's still a problem. But, but uh, you know, I'm ADHD, ADD, ESPN. Every once in a while, I watch CNN. And so it's really kind of confusing and crazy. And, and so some of us have that as well, right? And you have to manage your time in a different way. But oftentimes, procrastination is a kiss of death, right? It's a kiss of death. And as a side note, those of you who are managing people, who have procrastinators that you are leading, you must set times and you must set dates in order for them to be successful. All right? So you need to make sure that you you write that down. So we need to be disciplined in that. So decisions, appetite, words, and time. All right? Number nine is you got to depend on people. I know some of you are like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, you got to. Think about this. Think about this. The majority of your prayers that God answers is through people. You ever think of that? I mean, every once in a while, God does a crazy thing and just drops it from the sky into your lap. But more often than not, God answers prayer through other people. Why do we think we can live our life solo? You can't. You've got to depend on people. He's wired you for community. He's wired you to be accountable and to give an account to other people, right? And so you have to depend on other people and you want to make sure that there's folks in your life that, you're a, that is able to hold you accountable and, and also if you're, you know, if you're married, you want to make sure that your spouse is on board with some of the goals that you may have, all right? You don't want to, you don't want to su- surprise anybody. No one likes those kind of surprises, right? So you want to make sure that you include them in. And so you ask in that question, who else? All right. Then number 10. The 10th one is uh, deposit the price. All right. Deposit the price. There is a cost that's going to be involved in your goals. Would you agree with that? Sure. There's going to be a time issue. There perhaps is going to be a money issue. There may be a reputation issue. Uh, there may be some things that you have to say no to in order to say yes to the best, right? And so there's going to be some cost involved in which you need to kind of push aside in order to experience it. 
And so in verse 53, it says, Then the servant brought out the gold and the silver, right, and the articles of clothing, and he gave it to Rebekah. There's a cost that was going to be involved in which that he was going to woo her ultimately back to his, his, uh, his master's son. And so there was a cost involved. Now, let me just kind of pause with it. You have to make sure that what your goal is is a godly goal. And then you have to discipline yourself to say no to not necessarily bad things, but not the best thing, right? And so when you think about if your goal for 2016 is to improve your marriage by having a date night with your spouse, some of you guys need to write this down, right? That you need to have a date night with your spouse on a monthly basis, there is going to be a cost financially perhaps, and you don't have to go to a fancy restaurant, you can go to somewhere cheap, right? But there's also going to be a cost that you may have to say no to some of your activities that you like to, you know, I like to go play darts and shoot pool or golf or whatever it is. I may have to say no to some of the good things in order to say yes to the best things. And all the wives said, amen, right? So see what I mean, guys? See, if you follow me, I'm going to lead you into to, to some good ground, right? If you don't listen to me, you're on your own, all right? Don't call me, and some of you are writing it down right now. Okay, let's see, right? So there's going to be a cost involved, and you've got to ask yourself, am I willing to pay the price in order to achieve that? So here's the questions that we're going to be asking. What will it cost me? What will it cost me? Am I willing to give or give up? And then the last one is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Verse 51. There he is. Here's Rebecca. Take her, go, and let her uh, be with your master's son uh, as your master's son's wife. And watch, watch uh, verse uh, 52. And it came to pass, and Abraham's servant heard these words, and what did he do? He worshipped the Lord, right? God-given goals are going to bring you to a place where you recognize what God has supplied and what God has blessed you with, Okay. Now, let me, let me go back to the type, and then I'm going to jump into showing you some, a practical way of doing it for yourself. Remember what I said. Abraham is the father, right? We got that. Abraham is the father. Isaac is the son, Jesus Christ. The servant is the Holy Spirit, and the, the bride is the body of Christ, or you and, you and me, right? So the father sends the servant, Right? Abraham sends the servant, so the Father sends the Holy Spirit to touch the life of the believer. Right? Are we tracking so far? And the Spirit of God says to the believer, are you willing to follow? And the believer has a choice of saying, yay or nay. In this case, Rebecca says, yay, right? And the Holy Spirit brings 
her back, or uh, the servant brings her back, and he presents her to Isaac, who is a picture of Christ. Right? So, here's how it works in the life of a believer. And this is why godly goals are important to have. And this is why I said last week, if you don't think God speaks to his children, you're crazy. Right? The Father is going to send the Spirit of God to woo in our life, to draw us to him, to call us to a place of higher living, a place of being like Christ. And the Spirit of God is going to woo us, and we have a choice. Are we willing to follow? Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to be obedient to the Spirit of God calling us? And when we decide that we're going to be obedient to, to the Holy Spirit, who was sent by the Father, then we are presented to Christ as the bride. Right? And we know from last week, a virgin and beautiful. Right? And so as believers in Jesus Christ, I am absolutely a thousand percent convinced that God has God-given goals for your life. Okay? And He is calling you to a higher standard of living, to a higher calling, to be presented to Christ, beautiful in the eyes of Christ. And this is why Genesis 24 is a chapter, in my opinion, that has the word success five times because we have, we have the type of the Trinity that's revealed to the body of Christ. All right? So I tell you, spend some time setting some God, God goals in your life, all right? So now let me go back, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. If I can find my notes. Here they are. So last week I gave you some practical way, a practical way of using this as an outline. So I used it as community groups, all right? And so I said last week as we looked at number one, which is where are we when it comes to community groups? And I said we have 25 groups and we need 50, all right? That's the reality. That's where we are in our, in, our, uh, in our situation. And so what do we need to change? We need to add or start 25 new community groups in 2016, all right? So then the next part is number two, is the purpose, right? Why are we doing it? Well, we want to get everyone who attends Laurel Ridge adults into a community group because we believe that when a group is, and which leads to number three, the purpose, we believe that the body of Christ functions best in community. God has created us for community, and we function best. And next week we'll look, when the, when the body is unified, we'll look at a psalm, Psalms uh, 133, and it, it's an amazing uh, chapter on the type of what we find in the Holy Spirit working in unity. We'll see that next week, all right? And so anyway, the promise is, if you look in Acts chapter 2, all the body of believers were together, right? They were together in worship. They were together in small community groups as well. Number four is the prophet. Why do we want to do it? Because the body functions best. We, are be, we, are, we will be able to be loved and be loved, served and be served, cared for and care for others, and we grow spiritually in community groups. Are we following so far? Is that a, is that a goal worth praying for? Absolutely, it's the will of God. Anytime you pray for the will of God, that's a great thing. Number six, problems. Do you think there are any problems in starting 25 groups? 
Yeah, absolutely, there are tons of problems. So we need to, problem one, we need to start 25 groups. Problem two, most people don't think that community groups are impactful. Okay? Problem number three, most people believe or think that they couldn't lead a community group. Right? And most people think they don't have time for a community group. Now, am I hitting anywhere close to home? Alright? So that's the problem. That's the barriers, the roadblocks in which Pastor Dan, Pastor Eric are going to have to deal. So what's the plan? Are we following so far, church? Alright? We're going to talk about community groups until you get sick and tired of hearing me talk about it. Alright? Number two is we have coaches available for you. If you sit there today and you think, I don't know how to lead a group. Guess what? We have somebody who will walk you through the process and a person or two who you can call that will help you work through the problems and work through the issues that you have. So there is no excuse at Laurel Ridge for not leading a community group. How do you like that? Yeah, you're like, oh no. Let's go back to the problems, right? All right. And we want to, the third, the third part of the plan is, we want to help people understand that community group has, has a huge impact in your life and in the life of the community in which you serve in. All right? And then number three, how long is it going to take? You aren't leaving today until you sign up to lead a group, right? So lock the doors. <laughs> no. It's going to take all year. That's okay. We're going to work all year. And by next week, if we sign up 25 groups, go God, we'll give them praise and we'll have fun with it, right? But otherwise, our goal is for all year to work on trying to get 25 new groups, all right? Number eight is discipline. Are we going to be disciplined? So pay attention. This is important. Yes, we are, all right? We're going to discipline. Pastor Dan is going to discipline myself and I'm going to discipline the staff, uh, the staff to focus on community groups. Now, not this semester, but the next one, all of our staff are going to be required to lead. I lead one, uh, and so we're all the pastors are going to be required to lead their own group, right? Because if, if we're going to say it's important, then we need to lead from the front, right? I, I'm a strong believer that you don't lead from back, you lead from example in the front, all right? The second, uh, the second part of this disciplining ourselves as a church is we are not going to add new ministries to the church, all right? We are not going to be a, a church with community groups. We are going to be a church of community groups. So FYI, ministries that are going to take place are going to come out of community groups. All right? So we're not going to add a bunch of things on. And some of you guys come say, hey, what about this and what about that? They're great ideas. Get in a community group. Encourage that to actually come out of the community. All right? My mom's clapping for me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, and then are we going to depend on number nine? Are we going to de- depend on people? So listen up. Don't get confused here. We are going to go for the big ask. A-S-K. For those of you who didn't hear me very clearly. Right? We are going to go for the big ask. And we're going to ask those of you. Some of you, you can lead a group. You've been walking with the Lord long enough. Right? Some of you, you feel like you don't have time and all that stuff. You can get involved in a group. You know, so we're going to go for the big ask. And we're going to ask you to sign up, lead a group, be a part of it. Number 10 is the price. Yeah, are we willing to pay the price? And as I said, uh, the staff will be required to model it. I have a community group. I lead a community group. And we're going uh, to uh, model that as staff. 
And you might have to say no to some good ministries in order for this year, at least this year, until our community groups are up and healthy, to make sure that we say no in order to focus on community groups. I, I think it's one of our big struggles that we have a, a, as a church. And so we will we'll say yes to community and some other ministries we may not say yes to. All right? So you can take this outline. And you can plug in any area of your life where you have goals and you can easily work through a very God-based way of goals in your life. All right? And it is a simple formula. You can plug it in. And by next week, you guys are going to have some crazy goals that you're going to share with me, right? All right, I know, I know sometimes you don't respond because you're really pondering the enormous amount of information that you just digested, right? Is that what it is? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. All right, one last thing before we close. Next week, we're going to start, we'll run with a little uh, flyer up here on the wall, a little program here. We're going to have a 30-day church challenge, okay? And here's what I'd like you to commit to. Starting next Sunday for 30 days, we're going to talk about five areas of your life, and I will make you a promise by God, through God, that if you commit to the five areas that we're going to share about over the next 30 days, I assure you that you will be passionate for Christ, that you will be sold out for Jesus, your spiritual life will hit a whole new level in your walk. And you will be saying, thank you, Pastor Dan, for doing the 30-day church challenge starting next week. So commit to that next week, and I think you'll be in, in, uh, encouraged and helped out. And I'm going to share with you from Psalms 133 a very cool passage about a type of the Holy Spirit and what it does in our life, and more importantly, as a body of believers that are unified, what it does in our life as a church as well. You excited about that? Yeah. All right, let's pray then. Lord, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given us for this opportunity to gather and to sit under the authority of your word. Father, we're just grateful for the blessings that you're going to do in and through uh, our life and as our church's life in 2016. Father, we, just, we pause in advance and we praise you for the goodness and the blessings that you're going to pour out in our life. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity. It is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And that is to invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. And we go through a little ABCs just to kind of keep it simple for us. A is admit that we've made mistakes, that we've missed the mark, that we're sinners. B is believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And see is to confess him to be our Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've never invited Christ to come into your life, as I say this prayer silently, as I, as I say, just silently repeat after me. Invite Jesus into your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I've made mistakes, that I've missed the mark, that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, that He died on a cross and that He rose again. And today, I confess Him to be my Lord and Savior.
Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a new start. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, as we give back to you a portion of what you blessed us with, Lord, may you bless the offering, bless those who give with that cheerful heart. We know that you love a cheerful giver. And Father, may we be wise stewards as a church of all that you've entrusted us with. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.